millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The Justice Minister slams recreational drug use and its growing social acceptance. There is a direct link between snorting a line or taking a pill and murder, assault, criminality and misery. Inflation dips again, falling for the third month in a row. But are you feeling it in your pocket? And reports tonight of a possible deal on the post-Brexit protocol. You can join our conversation online with your comments and your questions on the hashtag TonightVMTV. Inflation has dipped again for the third month in a row. New figures show it's fallen back to 7.8%. Meanwhile, a Red Sea State of the Nation survey for Virgin Media Television has shown that around half of those surveyed would be willing to pay more tax for better services in health and education. 1,000 adults were polled earlier this month. Our economics correspondent, Paul Coggan, has been crunching the figures. It has been a rough year for consumers. The cost of living is significantly more expensive than it was 12 months ago. Virgin Media and Red Sea asked people for their views on the management of the public finances and how they deal with their own personal finances. People were surveyed on both their financial habits and also the bigger picture. Around half of those surveyed said they are willing to pay more tax if it were to mean better health and education services. This is slightly higher among the younger age group. And when it comes to planning their financial future, only a quarter of people said they were paying into a private pension. And among women, this figure is significantly lower. The upheaval in the cost of living has gone hand in hand with a big shift in the banking scene. Two banks are leaving the Irish market, while others are attempting to trim their operations. When it comes to managing money, the transition away from cash seems to be well along. Only three out of 10 people say cash is now their preferred payment method. And among the 18 to 34 year olds, this falls to one in five. Half of people meanwhile prefer to use a debit card, whilst the youngest cohort are over twice as likely to prefer Revolut to cash. Money is obviously tight for many people, but signs today that the worst of inflation may be behind Ireland. The headline rate dropped last month for the third month in a row, while actual consumer prices in January fell by almost 1%. And it seems that the squeeze has not put people off the idea of holidays. Seven out of 10 said they're planning a holiday this year, half of them heading abroad. Three quarters don't believe that Ireland offers good value for money. Paul Colgan, Virgin Media News. Well, I'm joined tonight on my panel by Minister of State Anne Rabbit, Aintu leader, Pather Tobin, Irish Daily Mail executive editor, John Lee, and broadcaster Trishona Archer. You're all very welcome along to the show tonight. Um, let's talk about that because the issue around inflation 
certainly it has dropped for the third month in a row. We are seeing a slight moderation there, but certainly many people watching tonight, uh, Minister, would say they're not seeing it in their pockets. Um, and while there might be a slight moderation, well, as soon as it's been passed on to consumers, certainly in the area of, of food and other areas, it is, is, is unknown. Um, how is it being tackled by government now? And what way are you approaching this? Are you approaching it in a different way um, than the way you did it before Christmas? No, but by no means. Um, I think the way, and I'm not part of these conversations at this moment in time because it, it is the party leaders and it is the Minister for Finances and it is also um, social protection, that part of it. But we do know what we have got right. And you don't have to believe me for it, is the RSI have actually said the targeted interventions, the universal approach that we have taken. So the, the once-off measures combined with um, underpinning it as well with increases in the pension, um, expanding um, the, the likes of the fuel allowance um, criteria to be able, the over 70s expanding the means element in and brought in another 80,000 people into it. That's the approach that seems to be working. It has to be targeted to those that are in need the most. Okay. And yet the criticism is that it isn't targeted to all those that need it the most. There's, you know, blanket credits being given to people, say, in the area of energy, this 200 euro credit, and we may see another 200 euro credit coming everyone's way, um, be you someone who has no means at all or someone who's sitting on millions of euro. Yeah, and, and look at, before I came in here tonight, I, I was going over it, like, so if you look at it from the very, very young, you look at the childcare, the reduction of the 25% fees, you look at the investment in education, um, where you talk about the transport costs were, were gone in relation to school bus fees, mm. you look at the school meals programme, you, you also then look at the Susie, the double, double payment, you look at the tax credit sure. in relation to the students, you look at the 1,000 euros reduction there, you look at the dropping in the universal social charges, I talked to you there about the pensioners. The increase did, but that's not what I asked you. I just was asking you specifically about that universal. Yes. Um, a 200 euro credit, I think it was 600 euro that has been announced to date. And there may be another 200 euro coming people's <clears throat> way in May. Now, like people aren't going to turn around and say no to it. Like they're not going to do that. But would you accept that not everyone needs that money? Um, I would accept the fact of the matter like is that... Like it's costing 400 million euro. Yes, but, but to be honest with you, I don't think the party leaders are there themselves that there's going to be another grant of the 200 euros either. Let's be clear about that because the next, the final third payment has to come in March. Uh, and to be honest with you, I think it is as needed uh, and it has to be what as responded. What about a fourth payment? Because that's where we're hearing about coalition cracks. I don't, I think that's all under discussion at this moment in time. And it wouldn't be fair for me to say, like, but we still haven't got the third you, payment. I know, would you say yes or no to that? The Greens would say, you know, enough, 600 euro, that's enough. That's enough in universal Well, payments. as Minister for Disabilities, I'll always be advocating for persons with disabilities to have more... Uh, Supports. Okay, so that sounds like targeted measures you're talking about. Father, yeah, my frustration in this is if you add up the total cost of the electricity credits, it's actually less than the increase in all the taxes on fuel since uh, 2021. So the government is actually taking more money out of people's pockets in terms of extra VAT, extra carbon taxes, uh, extra taxes on solid fuels, uh, etc., <clears throat> than they are actually giving back in terms of ele uh, electricity credits. And while they might get kudos for that, because people like to, to, to see the 200 credit uh, in their accounts, it's, it, it's a fool's economy for people. I believe that we should have followed uh, the process that the Spanish used, for example. So they lowered uh, the VAT on fuel at the time there was 
runaway inflation on that. And that would help people who are more dependent on those fuels, especially people in rural areas like in your constituency who are very dependent on their car or who are, you know, to get to work and, and to get to school, etc. And would have helped people who, who, who were in trouble in terms of, you know, oil heating uh, in their homes, while but, many but, people, but again, Pather, in Conor would not, be dependent on, on, yeah. on, on but Pather, oil heating. But at the same time, I, I, I take aboard what you're saying, but at the same time, you have to acknowledge uh, the government has expanded, actually, the fuel allowance for the people over 70. Do you welcome that? Yeah, like, I, I do think so. But, like, but if you look at the increases in social welfare and in the, in the pension, if you, take in, if you take out the once-off uh, money that was given to those cohorts, the actual that's, the that's the, the doubling. The, the, double, the double payment. Double the, payment, Just sure. the actual increase in the pension. The 12 euro that in, was announced in the budget. Yes, was actually less than the rate of inflation for last year. So for those cohorts, the outside of the once-off payments, their income actually reduced in real terms uh, in, in the last budget. And while you, like, uh, you, you may give a once-off payment in this occasion, what we need is for people on pensions to have increases at the same rate as the rate of inflation so they don't suffer decreases uh, in their actual wages. Is the reason that's not being done and not being considered, because we've heard that, we haven't just heard that from the opposition, we have heard that from groups representing, um, you know, uh, uh, people who, are, who would be social welfare recipients, recipients, groups for the elderly, to look at this pension payment, the likes of an extra 12 euro right now with the, the cost of living increases that we are seeing, it's simply not going far enough and they're worse off now than they were before these increases came in. Yes, uh, but, but, but your intro there was very clear that inflation is dropping. It's, it's, uh, it's moderating. It's, it's, it's moderating, okay. But, it but is. we don't know but, how uh, long but, but, and, and how long that But I think the Taunister was very, very clear today under a leader's questions. He was very clear. And like opposition w would say that we need to have um, a, a, a Christmas bonus. We need to have a, a spring bonus. We need to have a summer bonus. We need to have an autumn bonus. Um, but at the same time, where we do targeted measures that would support right. the people that are in disabilities okay. are, are the more vulnerable. That is what's needed. Okay. And I, be just, able to I want to bring John. John, I, I want to bring you in here. Um, just look on that matter about you know a permanent income boost to people on fixed incomes because we know they are people who are maybe suffering the most when it comes to this cost of living crisis. Is it not being countenanced right now by government because if you give extra money, it is very hard to take it away? Yes, and I think um, my knowledge of accountants, and I know a few, is they do not favour a repeated payment. So the, the beauty of, of these once-off payments has been they're, they're not open-ended. Michael McGrath, of course, is an accountant. But the problem with, with these repeated um, once-off payments is they seem to have grown out of a, a, an expectation that was established in COVID. But the beauty of COVID, and there weren't many beauties about it, was that we, we knew there was an end to it, that when restrictions ended, the payments would, pay, mm. would, would end. There is no, nowhere on the horizon do we see an end to the cost of living crisis or a fall in prices of fuel or groceries or so anything else. So what you're else. saying is we're going to keep, the, the, we're going to keep getting a sanctioning of these little payment boosts every now and again. Well, they've created a monster for themselves, the government, because... The, Without the, addressing because the core issue of the, the, the current welfare rates. Exactly. And um, they're also universal payments. And it, politicians in general, if they have a reaction like they did after the last um, budget, which was one of the few budgets I ever covered, that, that there was a very, very positive reaction to mm -hmm. it, it becomes like... Um, 
a habit forming um, a facility where they continue it. At some point, they're going to have to have, have to call time on the once-off payments and see if they can establish in next year's in next autumn's budget a, a continued across the board acceptable raise in social welfare payments, which then becomes a huge um, commitment. And runs state. in line, perhaps, <clears throat> with, with yeah. the cost of living increases that we're seeing. Uh, Trishana, your take on it. Do you think people will gladly welcome these, you know, little boosts that are that are coming our way? So say there is speculation around an extra 200 euro energy credit that will apply to everyone. Do you think that's something that could, that is welcome? Or do you think there's a bit more opportunity for government now to look at targeting those um, who really need it most, to put more money in there. Not that they're already being targeted, but to put more money towards people um, at the thin end of the wedge. I think money coming in will be definitely welcomed. An extra 200 euro, I think people will definitely appreciate that. We can see with the cost of living prices now, especially over Christmas, people were hit very, very hard when it came to ESB bills, when it came to just paying for food, groceries, rent prices are going up. So any extra money that is coming in, we will happily take it. But we don't want to overlook the bigger problem either. We don't want to say, we'll give you this 200 euro and the problem is still very much there. We need to face the bigger issues, which is we do need to increase wages because cost of living yeah. is being increased, but yet, our wages aren't. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting too, though, just looking at the poll and, and what the findings are. There's some interesting takes around people willing in this squeezed, in these tough times, people are willing to pay more tax if it means better services all around. So there's some people who can definitely afford to make, maybe take an extra cut out of their, their wage packet. And also the fact that seven out of 10 people said they're planning a holiday this year and half of them heading abroad. So it would seem from looking at that minister that it is a tale really of a divided country that you have those who can clearly afford the holiday abroad. Yes, they'll feel the squeeze when they see the bill coming in this month, but really they're not as impacted as those at the other end. But I think we, we also need to see where we are as a country. We, we don't know what um, the Ukraine war is going to present to us. We don't know if the downward trend in energy prices is going to continue. So we need to be a little bit more prudent because if we had it proper and we were out through all of these spaces mm. of where we are, and if we had certainty, of course we would want but to see the, the cost of But we beat the financial targets last year. Like we've done better now financially. We're actually doing better than we, than we foresaw. Uh, at the budget last year. Yes, but, but, but it's important to say as, as Minister for Disabilities, like having the cost of disability in front of us, we do know that people with disabilities, it is an awful lot more expensive than other people who might not have a disability. So I would love to... I, I see from what you're saying there, you think more money is going to go uh, the way no, of that's not what I'm people with disabilities? That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is when we talk about increasing benefits or we talk about increasing long-term um, towards people. That is where we need to be focusing on. But at the moment, it needs to be targeted so that actually we leave no one behind. But see, like, if, first of all, just on, on the cost of living elements, you know, what really frustrates me is the government never fixed the problem. So mm. they didn't bother decoupling uh, the price of electricity from the price of gas when they could have done that. Other European countries did. We still have massive disparities between the wholesale price of electricity and the wholesale price of gas and the retail levels. And the windfall tax is still something in the future, mm. while other countries have got it together. Now, the big question that always affects elections in this country is whether we want to be closer to Boston or Berlin, whether we want a low tax regime and, and, and low public services. And you say? Or, well, I, I would favour the, the, the Berlin model. I think if, if we want to, if we, but we need to be 
true to people, we can't have Berlin on Boston taxes. And that's the key point. We see Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael every election, and their major election platform is we're going to lower taxes for uh, the, the, the major cohort. But you can't provide the public services and do that You're at saying the same you can, time. you can fix the health system without extra money. Um, yes, I, I am actually. And I, and I said that before we came on air. Like, I wouldn't be in favour, I wouldn't be advocating that anybody pay extra taxes so as we have a better health system. But I do believe we need to get better efficiencies out of our health system. That's, uh, absolutely. There's okay. no doubt about it. There's money being poured into a black hole and it's not being managed properly in the health service. But the, it, the whole but service needs to be redesigned because predominantly it's made up of females. And when you have a service that is uh, the likes of the HSE, who is actually not braced to actually address maternity leave, so as we have a continuous flow and running of staff, it actually needs to start and actually design okay. a service that actually supports its okay. workers. And I do think that's going to be a topic uh, for another day. We will return to it. Uh, we certainly talk about the problems with our health service a lot on this programme. But I want to look now at what the Justice Minister um, had to say um, today about there being a direct link between recreational drug use and murder, assault, criminality and misery. The government has signed off on a citizens' assembly to be held on the drugs crisis. And speaking in the Dáil, uh, Minister Simon Harris said he's very concerned about the growing social acceptance of drugs. And what I'm talking about is the increasing prevalence and often visibility of drug taking as part of a night out in Ireland. Yes. And any conversation we have about drug use cannot ignore this reality. There is a direct link between snorting a line or taking a pill and murder, assault, criminality and misery. Drug use on a Friday or Saturday night is funding and supporting violence, crime, murders the next week. You're helping to line the pockets of criminals who are inflicting misery and pain in communities across our country. We need to get real about this. Drug use is not victimless, far from it. Uh, we need to get real about this. Trishana, what do you make of what uh, Minister Simon Harris had to say there? Really strong words, I think, in the Dáil today um, that certainly would have made people um, sit up and take note. What was your read of them? I personally think, I don't think casual drug users are to blame in this massive drug problem we have. I think what we need to look at is who is at the top of the food chain, not who is at the end of the food chain. I think looking at the people who are casually taking it at the weekend, we're not looking at the bigger problem. And I think once again, we're kind of almost scapegoating who the issue is starting from. Like, who, where's, how are the drugs getting into the country? How are the uh, drug dealers recruiting new members into their gangs? That's, who, that's where we need to focus our energies. Where is the drugs? Obviously, it's being sold, mm. it's being distributed, but we need to get to the top of the food chain. We need to figure out how it's coming in and who is actually distributing okay. it, as opposed to looking at who's using it on the weekends. Interesting take um, on that, John. What, what's your view on what Simon Harris had to say? He certainly seems to be taking a stronger line when there is a discussion around, I suppose, the, de the decriminalisation um, of, of, of drug use, um, that there's other discussions and plenty of discussions being had at a political level about where we go in tackling the drug problem in this country, which is great. Well, he's not the first Justice Minister to say, to say what he said today. I think I remember Michael McDool saying something very similar. And we have seen an exponential rise in drug taking in Ireland and, uh, and, and seizures. This, though, would indicate to me a slight incoherence from the government on drug policy. <clears throat> in some sections of government, we have talk about decriminalisation of 
um, small amounts of, uh, of drugs found in people's possession, which is fine. Last time we were on this show, we discussed that and I queried how that would be enforced. And that doesn't seem to have been thought through. Michal Martin has said that he favours a health-led approach. Mm. Um, your colleague uh, and uh, Paul McAuliffe has, has advocated um, a consideration of decriminalising small, small amounts of drugs. Yet we have the Justice Minister saying that anyone who is casually taking, we would assume if they're a casual drug taker, are in possession of small amounts of drugs, are responsible right. for this explosion in, 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 in drug dealing and deaths and everything else. And Robert, so there needs to be coherence yeah. on what exactly the government stands for. And Robert, what side do you come down on on this one? I welcome Minister Harris's um, comments there today. Um, that's the side, and it's not a side. I also think I welcome the fact that we'll have a citizens' assembly on it. Okay. And I think Michal so Martin. I believe right. that there needs to be no, a social stigma or a social no, conscience around it, but also conscience. we need a health-led approach. That yes. Those users should not be criminalised. Absolutely. But you can't do both. Yeah. Yeah. Can you do both? Can you do both, Pella? Like, well, I, I think the, the well, Fianna, Fianna, Fianna Fáil are on Sorry, the... and I will let you finish yeah. that out. Fianna, 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 I will let you finish that I, out I, I, think on, I think it's unfair, really, because I think what we, we need to have is that Citizens' Assembly. We need to hear all voices around the table to get an okay. outcome and take all it right. on board. We do have that a Citizens' fair Assembly. It's called Leinster House, in fairness, for that's the first thing. Now, Fianna Fáil are on the fence on this issue, They're at the, and, and now it seems that the government, in total, is at sixes and sevens. I do believe that, actually, middle-class recreational drug-taking actually fuels a lot of the industry that's there. Uh, but by the calling moment. those people out, is that going to stop those, those well, people taking drugs and is that going to break well, the system? To is that be, going to solve the problem? To be honest, we, we, we do need personal responsibility in society. We're asked to have personal responsibility yeah. when it comes but to it, climate change. I mean, change. on a very practical level, that's shown not to have worked. No, but I, 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 I think we have a problem with, with policing in this country. We have uh, less guardy per capita than most other countries in, in the whole of Europe at the moment. We don't have the drug rehabilitation services that we need. Like, people talk about a health-led approach. What's stopping a health-led approach now at the moment? Look, if you're a youngster in my constituency and you want a residential drug rehabilitation service to get off drugs, it's simply not there. Get in there, give the health uh, approach to those people. But decriminalizing um, uh, drugs does not get rid of the criminal activity in terms of, of the industry. And the mm. industry ends up in murder and mayhem for so many people. So Although it, 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 it means that smaller cases and personal possession does not have to go through a justice system oh. and people with addiction problems. In many cases, it doesn't anyways at this moment in time. So for, for small, for small um, uh, possession of, of, of hash, for example, there isn't a criminal record for many people. No, uh, that's not true. That is not true. And many people I think in, the in practice bear, guardy I, I think, do not prosecute no, I think, people I think in many the statistics cases for bear out otherwise. small um, of drugs. I do think the statistics may bear out otherwise on that. I think there are a lot of court cases There are court cases, but there are also guardy who, who don't bring the cases to court. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I do think that there are a fair few prosecutions on it, um, certainly looking at, at how it impacts people who have had... Um, personal drug use and how it's impacted but them just, on, on, on getting a job later in life and all the rest one point, of it. Like, how does the health-led approach lead, like, deal with a, a Southsider who takes a line every weekend, who doesn't actually have you know, any health... to pick on the Southsiders now tonight. But that's, well, but that's what you say, else how does it work in practice? I mean, how do you define someone caught in possession of a small amount of drugs when we have the Minister for Justice saying that their activities contribute to gangland crime? Mm. And where, where do you do the test on whether they're, they're a drug addict or not? Where do, you, where do you determine whether that person is carrying a small amount of drugs on behalf of... Uh, as 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Is practice from, from my journalism working on this issue for 25 years in Dublin, that drug dealers take a small amount of drug from a large, a large drug dealer and then distribute it. So... What, what, what we want to know is how, how is this go, going to work in practice? Okay. Where, oh, where do we determine whether someone's right. an addict or not? Well, maybe the Citizens' Assembly uh, will help fuel that discussion. I want to go to the US now. We want to break, bring you some breaking international news. And in a surprise move tonight, US President Joe Biden has ruled out any connection between flying objects shot down by military jets last weekend and China. I'm joined now live in Washington by Benji Hare with the latest twist in this story. Uh, Benji, bring us up to date because um, we know that Joe Biden held a a press conference um, in the last couple of hours. What did he have to say? Well, actually, at this stage, we still don't know exactly what those objects were. Three of them that were shot down in as many days over Alaska, Yukon in northwest Canada, and also a lake uh, near Michigan. And the reason we still don't know exactly what those objects are is because the rescue teams have not been able to get all the debris, given that they're stuck in some of the cases in in, in thick ice or, or deep water. But what the president made clear today is that, as you mentioned, there is nothing suggesting that these devices are connected to China in any way in light of that balloon that was shot down a week or so prior to those instances. And he adds, no evidence that there is surveillance equipment from other countries. He says these are most likely balloons uh, from private companies, either recreational or to do with scientific research, that were targeted out of an abundance of caution because they were floating in the sort of altitude that you'd expect civilian aircraft 
aircraft to be flying. He did mention as well that any sort of threat to America's sovereignty will be dealt with seriously in relation to that Chinese balloon, which was allowed to float over much of the continental US before it was shot down over the East Coast. And he did also say that he would be looking forward to speaking with Chinese President Xi Jinping about the US-Sino relationship. The priority for him is not conflict, but competition. Um, yes, indeed. Let's talk about the other big story um, uh, emerging from the States. And this is on this part of the grand jury report um, on Trump's allegations around voter fraud, um, which were alleged by Donald Trump. Parts of this report have been released. Um, tell, us, tell us what it has to say. Well, I think a bit of context here is important. You've got to cast your minds back to January 2021 when the then president held a phone call with uh, the Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find another another 11 or so thousand votes that would have got Donald Trump over the line in that state. Raffensperger refused uh, and, and resisted that pressure. Joe Biden, of course, became president. It's that phone call that instigated an investigation and now a report which has been published not in its entirety but part of it has been uh, released. And what it shows is two main findings. The first is that Donald Trump's uh, 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 conspiracy theory that uh, he was denied an election result uh, because of voter fraud ultimately uh, was based on unproven evidence. And that secondly, there could be potential prosecution for those witnesses that could have lied to the panel. No mention of the former president, though, and it's unknown at this stage whether he'll be indicted as part of the investigation. Hey, Benji Hart joining us from the US tonight. Thank you for that. My panel is staying on with me and coming up next, more of the big stories of the week, including the shock resignation of Scotland's First Minister, Nicola Sturgeon. Do you stay with us. Welcome back. My panel is still here with me. Minister of State Anne Rabbit, Inti leader Pather Tobin, Irish Daily Mail executive editor John Lee and broadcaster Trishona Archer. Um, let's talk a little bit about a potential protocol deal that's on the horizon. Um, John, Rishi Sunak, we understand, is, is flying into the north this weekend. It seems that finally progress is happening. Well, they have a deadline, which is the uh, anniversary of Good Friday Agreement, we would think, and maybe Bert Ag can tell us if Bertie Ahern's going to uh, get involved in negotiations on that. He seems to be back in the news. Um, Rishi Sunak has been um, contacting European leaders because this is a European issue, of course, to do with the protocol and um, is to jet into Northern Ireland to discuss some of these things. I think it's a product of the um, divisive Boris Johnson having departed the scene. We have had two prime ministers. Rishi Sunak is, is, seems to be more inclined mm. to get everyone involved. I think it's fair to say that the unionists um, in Northern Ireland had a problem with protocol. They are a community. They have to be brought along. And there will be some form of proposals to do with the, the examining and, um, and of goods going from Britain into Northern Ireland, which has been an issue that the uh, unionists will refuse to return to the assembly until that is sorted out. And it would seem from all the mood music coming from Belfast and London this evening and, um, and from Europe that some 
form of deal appears to be imminent. Okay. Michal Martin, though, did say, <clears throat> did caution this evening that, or this, uh, today, that we're still quite a bit away. All right. Okay. Um, uh, I, I just want to move on to talk uh, about something that was actually raised in the Dáil tonight um, by Sinn Féin, by Thomas Gould. He spoke out about um, what we're hearing, that Tommy Robinson, the far-right activist and English nationalist, um, is currently here to support and to document the anti-asylum seeker protests. And Thomas Gould had to say he doesn't care about our communities, he doesn't care about Ireland, he cares about spreading his disgusting hate. Um, Trishona, when you hear news of this, someone coming over to document anti-asylum protests, uh, the traction, I guess, mm. that these protests are garnering outside of Ireland, what do you think? I think when you see it on social media, on the likes of Twitter, on the likes of Facebook, and you see the comments under some of these videos that are attracting hate speech and attracting lots of people that are agreeing with this side of things, you do not want to give it any more publicity. And having the likes of Tommy over, he is just going to spread the hate. And I don't see why we need that. I know we cannot obviously ban him from being in the country. He's here already. But I think his message is not a good one. And I think him coming over to video document, I don't really understand what, what he's going to do, uh, bar just stir up a lot more hate. I don't see any need for and that. And do you think there are many people here that would welcome him um, in this country. Do you think there is that far-right element here that would have, he says he wasn't invited, um, but that would certainly welcome him being here? Yes, definitely. I think we would like to think no. Uh, we would like to say there isn't a huge majority there, but I think when you look at the likes of social media and see the comments and see the posts and see how many uh, people are sharing and resharing, there definitely is a large majority there that are with Tommy. Um, Pather, certainly we are seeing from online commentary and the number of protests that, that are taking place. And I know many in those protests would say they have legitimate concerns, but certainly there is concern in government and elsewhere that a lot of these protests are also being hijacked. And um, your take on the likes of Tommy Robinson, who has been a member of the British National Party, the English Defence League, um, known to be very Islamic, uh, Islamophobic, is now over here uh, to support the anti-asylum protests. Yeah, I think like Tommy Robinson is no friend of Ireland uh, whatsoever. He's supported, you know, the British military and the killing of Irish uh, people in the north uh, in in the past. Um, I think one of the problems is Tommy Robinson wants us to be talking about him, and unfortunately, you know, I think there's a danger that we can we we do as a a political establishment, you know, give him um, more credence, uh, more airtime, more space. Um, you know, I think he he offers nothing uh, in relation to the difficulties that exists in this country. I think that's um, one of the... But look, the, why do you think he's here? Like, I think he's here just to make political capital out okay. of uh, some out of the of difficulties what? that he thinks that are... Do you uh, think there's people like Trishona says who would certainly espouse his views? Oh, there's no doubt that there's a very small cohort of, of people who are looking to make political capital uh, out of the... Uh, yeah. out of the, the difficulties that are, that are rising in certain parts of the country. But I do believe they're a small cohort uh, as well. I don't believe um, I, I don't believe that they pose any political uh, threat. I think they're, they're a ragtag of people who are disparate in nature, many of them right. uh, who are involved but in... But they have in managed other... to organise themselves fairly well to arrive down um, at, at these protests as well. Two or 300 about, like, people. Let's talk about, like, is there political concern there? Um, 
about, I guess what we're seeing is, is, more, is more protests in opposition to um, refugees and to asylum seekers and some of what's being described as fringe elements of those protests. And I, and, I, and I think what's really important here is a united voice to actually show that uh, th that particular wing is actually small. Um, it, it is there. It's very, very, very real. Um, that, that's a fact of it. I mean, but it's I, in every other country. Like, why wouldn't it? Why, yeah, no, why that's what I'm saying. It's very real. It, it is there. It, absolutely, it is there. But I think in, when we talk about the Oireachtas, it's very important that all of us within the Oireachtas have a very clear voice. And to call it out, Stephen Donnelly's contribution this evening in the Dáil, to me, was very, very powerful, where he said we need that united voice. And, and I genuinely do believe that goes but, right but, across all political elements from... Right down, right from the top down to your councillors, to people who go canvassing Stephen with you. Stephen Donnelly was, was outrageous today in the door because I was, I was there for the speech. What he actually said, if people criticise the way that the government are handling this, they are in some way giving energy uh, to people in the far right. You can be compassionate in relation to trying to help people who need help in terms of... Now, see, of, that's of, where of you're trying to have in. your bread and, and butter right no, there no, now, no, 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 To be no, quite honest with you, so, let's be clear so, about this, it. No, 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 no. Can I just say when we have COVID... When we, no, 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 I'll finish it for what you. What you're, when saying we have, is, what you're saying is, if you, if you criticise the way the government is handling this process in some way that you're giving space uh, to people who are ne'er-do-wells, the government has... Sorry, uh, now, can I come in here now? In their lack of consultation with communities... I just want to hear Pather out on that point. The government, in their lack of consultation with communities, have created great difficulties. Even in Anne's own town in Loch Ray, for example, community asked uh, Anne, was there going to be people moving into a hotel? Anne contacted the department. The department said no. Anne wrote a letter telling people there weren't going to be people moving into the hotel. So, Claire, can and I... And a couple of days later, switch. people moved into the hotel. All right. Anne, so I'll can let I, you, I'll can let you, I correct I'll let the you record there for 30 seconds? First and foremost, I was asked, was there people moving into to a local hotel? I went and sought um, clarification from the department. The answer that I got that I shared with my local councillor, the answer was there was no contracts. There was nothing on their books. A number of days later, it was that there was contracts coming. I shared it with my councillor. That is the communication that is required, that keeping people abreast and updated. I will agree that sometimes there is a vacuum come in which causes concern. Exactly. But can I just go back? For one that second, in relation to that has been a big criticism that is borne out, say, in, yes. in polls like the, the one that we did um, this week on whether, you know, the country has the ability or the services to handle, you know, the number of people coming into this country um, and other such concerns um, around that, and that it actually hasn't been addressed by government in, in good communication to communities who now are protesting. Yes, and, and I think that's a very fair point that communications hasn't been good and it needs to be improved on in a big way. But can I just go back to the piece I know, of, do you know what? Yeah. I just want to get John's voice in here because uh, I think um, it's important because we are going to have another big counter rally that is, that is being um, uh, publicised for this weekend where this um, idea that there will be a show for all um, support and support for refugees uh, and politicians, I think, uh, hoping to get uh, plenty of numbers at that. Well, I live in Ireland and I'm part of the community and I do not get, I, I, I do not get a sense that there is any significant far-right movement in Ireland. There's elements of the media of which I'm a part have always been on the lookout for this. Um, when politicians speak, when a government speaks and Anne represents the government about a far-right movement, I ask myself why. The reason this, you, you also asked why we don't have a history of the right in, in Ireland. There are two reasons. 10 million people emigrated from this country between 1800 and now. We have a deep connection with immigration. There is no history of, of, of anti-immigration in this country. 
The second reason the government but we are speaking, seeing no, it now. Just let me finish. The second reason is okay. there's a housing crisis. We have never had a housing crisis of this gravity before. And people are asking why they are and not this, being housed. And, it, and I've I been at some of these demonstrations. I think if we look at the protests that are taking place to say that there isn't a, a far-right movement uh, We've never Ireland. had one a, a, a far-right candidate elected to any We need to look at what's in front in of us. Could that, could that change Ever. now? I mean, that's uh, the question sort of being I don't asked. see the evidence for it. All right, all right. I think people but are entitled Claire, to protest. Claire, can I just come in here and finish off a point, which is an important point. And actually, Pather and John have played it right out for me. Stephen Donnelly talked this evening about us having a united voice. You cannot have a united voice. And I won't say he said, we welcome everybody. But in the next breath, say, we have a housing crisis. Because you're nearly conflating the two issues. Because you're nearly parking the problem with the people coming in at causing the housing crisis. Yeah. We had a housing crisis long before we had the Ukraine. So there should be one so, voice. But, but, absolutely. One we should voice. have one voice. There's no, there's no, so we shouldn't no be causing the division. Yeah. Briefly come in there. Like, we're asking. I mean, but is that healthy in a democracy either, Anne? No, 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 no. Hold on for your second. But does that but, not lead to that information void that is then, no, no. you know, filled by other other we voices that are not clear? There is no denying it. that we are have not to improve on communication. So you I agree with all of that. In, but we, many people in working class uh, groups are saying, yes, we want to help, but give a community dividend. So if there is a lack of housing or lack of uh, GPs or a lack of transport or lack of school places, say that. When we're going to move people in, we're also going to give a community dividend so that we can afford to actually create extra services so there isn't a competition uh, uh, between people in relation for those services. But you know what we are doing in rural areas? We're actually putting children into schools where they could be losing the teacher. Okay. We are actually you, investing you, in, right. in the local areas. You're relying on the hotels. Look, we'll in, we'll in have the to leave um, that conversation there for now. Uh, coming up next, do stay with us. Are St. Patrick's Day trips abroad by ministers worthwhile or just junkets? is still here with me, Minister of State Anne Robert, Ainty Leader Pather Tobin, Irish Daily Mail Executive Editor John Lee and Broadcaster Trishona Archer. Um, let's um, talk about uh, Nicola Sturgeon and her departure. And I suppose the big question around that is um, for a party that's really pushing for independence, John, will it help or hinder that strive for an independent Scotland? Um, you can only guess that she's she's going because it doesn't look likely that they will achieve that goal. Um, it's been very firmly knocked back that they would have another independence refer mm. referendum as she floated. She's had a few other legislative plans that have been knocked back and I never believe that a politician will depart the scene if there are great successes ahead. And one could only suspect that she has determined that that great one goal of her of her party is not achievable. And she goes, what will be they came so close in 2014. Well, they're not being allowed to run it is the first thing. And yeah. I think Britain has, has learned a few things about referendums since. So um, it, what will be fascinating is when a, a huge figure like this departs from a party, it, it, it will fragment somewhat. And Labour traditionally had a, great, had a great strength in Scotland. And you could find that the next general election in Britain could be decided by the distribution of votes in in Scotland, should the SNP recede and Labour takes back those votes, because to the Tories have never have never had a, a background there. Yeah. But no, I think if Certainly. there were great successes on the horizon, it's very unlikely that she would be. And there has been that attritional mm. 
effect of, of, of small and large scandals in our government. Yeah, it's interesting though as well, though with Brexit and all of that, that um, Scotland can't necessarily find the, the path now. Certainly it would appear that Nicola Sturgeon couldn't see that path ahead. Yeah, I'd be a great supporter of Scottish independence. So it's a, in many ways, this does look like a, 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 a definitely a difficulty mm. with regards to this. But, you know, I would have seen uh, it being useful to the independence cause for the Scottish to put it up to London and still proceed with some level of a referendum. And if they got the, uh, the majority uh, vote, uh, it would be harder for, for London to still to to just to ban that de democratic wish there. But, you know, I think that the reason she must have gone, she must have been pushed to a certain extent because the SNP is still in in very strong position. Uh, they, don't know who, they don't know who, there, there's no natural uh, replacement for no, her. No, there, the but there thing. definitely seems to be a lot of tensions building up and a lot of uh, crises. Obviously, the, the, the major crisis recently was the crisis of the, the male-born sex offender who was uh, placed in a women's uh, prison. Uh, for example, which caused a lot of uh, difficulty for the party. Um, I want to talk now, um, this is a subject close to your heart, Anne Robert, it's the Paddy's Day trips, because you are off. You are one of uh, 36 representatives being sent uh, to 74 cities in 44 countries for St. Patrick's Day. Everyone's away. Um, not everyone. Minister Butler isn't away. Oh, Minister Butler is not away. She's holding fort. Um, but certainly she might have drawn the short straw. But you're going to South Africa. How important, because uh, look, it's a conversation we have this time of year, every year. But do you really uh, think that these trips are necessary and are important? Absolutely, I, I do, to be quite honest with you. And I can only r reach back on my, lean back on my own story last year of going visiting Romania, where I, it was their first trip, or it was their first outing since they actually had COVID or since mm -hmm. the lockdown. Um, you get to meet with the ambassador, he puts links with, with, like you're also respecting the Romanian community that are here in Ireland. That's what I got a big sense of, um, of which we've the guts of 50,000 people here. But you also get to meet business connections as well. And you also got, I got to meet a lot of people within Parliament who told us about the challenges that they were having at that particular point in time. So I am looking forward to my trip in South Africa. Yeah. You'd have to feel sorry as well for Micheál Martin, who lost out um, last year on that Washington trip, I think, with uh, with COVID. And uh, yes. Leo Varadkar is over there this year. But Trishana, do you think that it, it that people care that much? Or do you think in, say, a cost of living crisis when you know, many people are, are, are feeling it uh, in the pockets to see all these ministers off in a junket on junkets around the world. Does it annoy people or are we just used to it at this point? I think it definitely annoys people because it annoys me to see our ministers going off and essentially going on a holiday when, yes, there is a cost of living crisis. And this money for these trips is going to be taken out of taxpayers' money. Let's just face it, that's where the funding is coming from. There's going to be first-class trips, there's going to be food, there's going to be hotel stays. It is basically sending them off on a holiday to at a time when I think everybody is focusing on Ireland, we have all this uh, globally, everybody is looking at our country right now. You should be here celebrating, is putting up videos, putting up pictures. Is, is, it, is it opening doors that would not otherwise be open to us as a, as a small country? I mean, that, that's been the justification over the years. It's the one time of year, time. you know, that Taoiseach gets to go to Washington. He sits down with, with Biden, but... Uh, you know, it's an interesting one as well because the carbon footprint is coming into all of this, um, John, and questions being asked of green ministers and whether they should be boarding those jets. 
I, I think it's a it's a bit of a cheap shot from some of the opposition. This, um, you know, Richard, Richard Boy, Boy Barrett, Barrett. Has, has condemned it um, this week. If that left wing alliance of a, of a coalition ever came about, Richard Boyd Barrett became a minister, he'd be left with a strange choice. I've been on many of these trips um, with, with, with a number of Taoiseach and the, the influence they have is extraordinary. I must say that, you know, that when you're in Washington, you're aware of the fact that we're the only nation on earth that is given that once a year date. And secondly, a figure I mentioned earlier on, that 10 million people per, um, from this state emigrated over uh, since, the, right. since 1800. Okay. That per head of capita is unique on the planet. And there are immigrant populations who receive right. an official visit. We are, we are out of time. Quick take on it, Pather. Yeah. Would you, if you were a minister, would you be off? I think there's a benefit to Washington for sure. But why not measure the benefit? Why not do a cost-benefit analysis and tell people exactly what's achieved from each trip to, to see is there a value in it? Like, people don't know what... what Trade is developed, what business is developed, there's no, there's no evidence of that. And oh, every minister is available to answer those questions but, if asked. Okay, there is we a have, lot to leave of it. have to leave it there. Um, our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also now find us on Instagram and on TikTok tonight, VMTV. Um, but from all my panel and me, good night, take care. <laughs>